Thank you for listening to this episode of No Days Off. Go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as subscribe to us to catch our main show that we do every week. There isn't really much of an intro into the show since I pre-recorded now. Today on this episode, we're going to talk about the AFC South, the NFC South, and we're going to give some respect to a lot of the moves. Uh, I think it'd be underselling now at this point to say that these, this offseason has been nothing short but crazy. And I want to make sure that we don't really miss much when we go through a lot of these things, especially with some of these smaller moves that come in here. I think that my I have a resident AFC South expert, or at least as far as a Houston Texans fan, which is but maybe as good as both. I'm bringing in Alejandro, who you might remember from the head coaching carousel uh, episode that we did. Maybe what do you think, Alejandro? Like three months uh, ago? It was uh, I think uh, late January. Was- so yeah, it was it was close to three months. So yeah, about two Glad months. Glad to be back. Something like that. Yep. <clears throat> so Alejandro is going to help help me and give some takes on, on a lot of these players that moved around some of these smaller moves, and then we're going to talk about the Texans, which is kind of why I dragged him on. But we're going to start with the Colts, who made a really big move in Matt Ryan. Uh, they We talked about Matt Ryan on my solo show with the, the quarterbacks, and we also talked about the Carson Wentz move on the main show. But Matt Ryan might possibly push the Colts into Super Bowl contention. Do you think, Alejandro, he could revive his MVP season and push them over the edge? Um. Maybe not. I don't. I don't necessarily. I think he could, but the likelihood of that actually happening is kind of up in the air. But I do think it's very likely that they make it back to that they make it into the playoffs and that they have a significant push and like threat level to them. Um, I mean, because last year Carson Wentz was li- quite literally almost like dragged into the playoffs, you know, almost against his will. So I don't see. Um, Matt Ryan putting up as much of a fight if um and if anything you know what I mean like I see him pulling his weight at the bare minimum um being competent at the bare minimum and this Colts team is just ready to compete now um behind their running back behind their defense behind that great offensive line so um I I, I think that Matt Ryan might not revive his uh MVP caliber year um but I do think he will be competent enough to get them into the playoffs and be a significant threat in those playoffs. Yeah, I think it's kind of people overreact to a lot of moves and we have to kind of view quarterbacks in more of a realm of reality than expectation because Matt Ryan may not be the MVP level quarterback that he was, but neither was Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz threw 27 touchdowns to seven interceptions. So it's not like, Carson Wentz was just god awful like he was 13 and 10 throughout the year and Jonathan Taylor completely dominated the show. Carson Wentz definitely was being dragged along like you said. He he as far as like a leader and a competitor goes leaves a lot to be desired. But with Matt Ryan, I mean, if he throws, let's say he has a similar stat line and then he throws 29 touchdowns and has two touchdowns and against a game like uh Jacksonville and they make it into the playoffs, that's a win, I think. Right. And then once you're in the dance, you know, you just, you just, you just shoot your shot and you see what you can do out of it. But yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, I see similarities between like this team and what the Titans were, you know, or are, I guess you could say, um, cause Ryan Tannehill isn't like a, you know, lights out quarterback MVP caliber, you know, dragging any team to the playoffs, like carrying the team on his back. Um, but he has a 
like it's a well coached team, a great organization, um, a great running back. So Matt Ryan doesn't have to be that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. I mean, the Ravens won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, and Joe Flacco, like in the playoffs, turned into a totally different quarterback. But um, I think that Matt Ryan can do that for them. You know, just kind yeah. of. And the Eagles won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Exactly. Like, it's not entirely impossible. I think that, <clears throat> and this is kind of like the Bengals going to the Super Bowl with their roster. Joe Burrow is obviously a fantastic quarterback, and Jamar Chase is right now still probably one of the three three or four best wide receivers in the league, depending on where you rank Cooper Cup. But when you look at that team, they, like, the sum was better than its parts. So you really just need like some parts to shine here and there and shine in the right moments. And I think that that's what Carson Wentz always lacked was that he was not a guy who shined in the right moments. Even if Matt Ryan is just, let's say as good as Carson Wentz was last year or, or as good as Ryan Tannehill has been, Ryan Tannehill has had some like, you know, he, he throws 12 throws, 12 passes. He has 170 yards and two touchdowns. And that's enough. That's enough. Like, you you got to have a guy who is enough. And also, you know, I think Matt Ryan, as far as being a competitor goes, uh, an, an unstated thing that happens in life, I think, is losing. And losing at a level that Matt Ryan has had in the Super Bowl with the comeback might be more beneficial to come in and, and kind of uplift this younger team than maybe a guy who's kind of had everything handed to him like uh, Mr. Wentz. But. Yeah, and then and then you put it into perspective in the sense that you see what they got him for a third round pick. Like, it's just an yeah, overall, that's a no brainer. That's a great, great, great pickup. <clears throat> and then um, I you know I heard it said on you know one of the sports shows that I watch in the mornings, and they were talking about how Atlanta might have just thrown him a bone to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Like, you have been great for our organization for X amount of years, and. You've been nothing but a stand-up citizen. No, no real drama. No real, you know, yeah. public outbursts or diva ness. Um, so why not give him a chance to compete? Because Atlanta is clearly not in a, in a position to do that, and you don't really see that in the NFL. You don't really see that in corporate America in general. It's always like they try to take as much as they can get, you know, and then kind of hang you out to dry. So I think that it was it was pretty cool that Atlanta was willing to do that. And who knows? May, maybe that was the best they could get for him. Um, but, uh, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited for Matt Ryan more than I'm excited for the Colts, if that makes sense. Um, just because I think that he, he, he has a lot to prove, but yet he doesn't have a lot to prove. He has, he, he has the motivation and the, the ability to, uh, excel. So I think that I'm excited to see what he does. It is kind of a relatively rare story. NFL's historically cutthroat that a guy is like a consummate pro. He's been a part of the city. He's been a part of the team for a long time. He's probably one of the one of the better Falcons, if not the great greatest Falcon ever, you know. And then they kind of like they let him move on peacefully and walk into the horizon to a team that he can actually win with, you know. Because they might have been able to trade him for a second round pick or two second round picks to another team, like a worse team, and instead they they go with a third round pick and trade him to the Colts but the Colts are historically not very aggressive I think one of the things about the the Colts is that they love to collect second third fourth round picks they're always trading back they're kind of using a lot of lower moves and the despite the DeForest Buckner move 
two years ago, I think at this point, they don't really trade first round picks or, or do anything that's too crazy. And I know that the Carson Wentz move was uh has like it was a first round pick, but they pretty much traded a conditional second. And they would they would have just made a low level move. So they're yeah. not in, extremely competitive uh in, in the off season. So this is kind of like a, a brighter side, but do you think that they should have made more moves considering that they came in with one of the m- most cap spaces in the entire league? Uh, not necessarily in the sense that I don't like, I'm a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of guy. Um, I think that the signs between a good organization and a bad organization is knowing what you need and when you need it. And, um, knowing who to get to do their job. Um, I mean, this, this almost even goes back to what we were talking about Matt, with Matt Ryan in regards to Matt Ryan earlier, just a few minutes ago about how, um, he, he doesn't need to be an MVP caliber player. So you don't need to grab anyone or overreach or overspend or, you know, jeopardize in terms of draft capital, you know, more than you need to in terms of getting someone because the team was already pretty good. I mean, obviously, once the season starts, if I see, oh, there's a glaring need here, it's really easy in retrospect to be like, oh, they should have picked up this X free agent or drafted this ex guy that was drafted in the third round who was secretly a first round talent. But as of right now, like I don't I think that they're in a good spot and bad organizations tend to let good spots go to waste in the sense that they feel like they have to do something. Um to the point where I mean you look at any bad organization historically, they overspend and they overcommit and so that ends up digging them into a hole that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And it could have been that I mean, they've given up picks. They've they've had this is the third quarterback in just as many years, right? So we've, they've given up mm-hmm. picks and whatnot. So it could have been very easy for them to try to splurge on you know whoever and give up two or three first round picks on one or two pickups, and then Matt Ryan leaves after this year or something. You know what I mean? You never know. But the team is good, so I I I think that they've done a good job. Um, it's not very exciting or like sexy or appealing, um, in terms of like what you might see on Instagram or whatnot. But, um, I think the pick of, of Matt Ryan in and of itself is a better off season than maybe like half the, half the teams in the league might have had otherwise. Yeah. They certainly use the bulk of their money to go and, and get Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan aside, I wonder, I question whether or not maybe it is broken and they have to go fix it because they use a lot of these low risk, medium reward type moves. They like last year, they went and got Eric Fisher and not that this necessarily had to trade or or find or dig for a franchise left tackle, but left tackle has been a need for them for a little bit. And they don't really take a look at that. I want, I really wanted them this off season to go and get Teron Armstead at left tackle and really kind of double down and say like, this is our championship window. Because being a team that wins just nine games a year isn't really, like fans don't really care about that. Right. And most teams don't really benefit from that. Because anytime you pick anywhere between 12 and 20, let's say, or I think the playoff cutoff might be 18, let's say like you pick anywhere from like 13 to 18. When you're in that window, it's kind of like, we didn't make the playoffs, but we don't have a top 10 pick. So now what? And the Colts this year would have picked like 19, 18 or 19 something like that, I think. And it's just kind of like, what What are you supposed to do? You need to, to go and double down. A lot of teams we've seen have doubled down, like the Rams and the Bucks, 
uh, over the last couple of years, and they come out on top. And the Colts haven't even made the playoffs in, in most recent history, and they still keep doing these low-level moves. I like some of the moves that they made. They added Yannick Ngakwe, who is you know, a, a decent pass rusher, not a great run stopper. He's not a complete edge defender. He's not signed on a mat like a max level contract, but I just, I would love to see the Colts decide to go all in because ever since Andrew Luck retired, I feel like their hearts are broken and they don't know how to, to step back out there into the dating world, the NFL dating world and really grab a guy. Matt Ryan might be the piece that they've been looking for because they have a couple guys who are the best at their position or at least top three in their, their position that they've drafted. Um, DeForest Buckner, they didn't draft, but he's probably one of the three best D tackles. Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, and Jonathan Taylor. And those are really good pieces, but why can't you just splurge every once in a while? Because if you, it's a high risk, but also maybe Super Bowl is, is your reward. I don't know. Yeah, I just think that like, <clears throat> when I sit here and analyze it, you know, and put on my, my thinking hat, I look at teams like the Bengals or like the Browns before Baker showed up um, or even like what the Broncos might be now that they've picked up Russ. Um, and they have solid teams, very similar to what the Colts have. It's just the missing quarterback, right? Um, so unless they would have splurged for like a Russell Wilson or been competitive in terms of trying to attract like a Aaron Rodgers um, or try to trade for Deshaun Watson, which never would have happened just because we're in the same division. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see realistically what would have set them over the top had it not been like if you swing and miss on the quarterback, none of those moves would have mattered. Yeah. Personally. I, I mean, but, but yeah, they just they they don't really go for the big names, do they? I mean, Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz are their next replacement replacement levels. Philip Rivers was before that. Um, not, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what I'm looking for personally. I just feel like I want more. Right. But we're going to move, uh, first of all, do you have a, a favorite move that they've done so far or anything outside of Matt Ryan? Uh, no, I was just about to say Matty Ice. That's yeah, it's Matty that, Ice. Really. That's that. Yeah. I mean, a, a, everything else is insignificant and re- relative to the quarterback in the game of football. Yeah. And you know, Mark Glowinski is probably like their most, uh, heartbreaking departure. Uh, who signed with the Giants? He is a pretty good guard. Hasn't left many uh, sacks out there, so good for him. The Titans, however, points. yeah, congrats, Giants, Super Bowl champions, twenty twenty three. Uh, the Titans, however, had to do a couple things here by letting go like Julio Jones. Their team has a lot of question marks. Tannehill, whether or not AJ Brown will officially break through. Derrick Henry's health. Do you think Alejandro they can still be the top seed in their division and or the conference? Not in their division and not in the conference, no. Um realistically, I see them being either second or third and that's just me being a Texans fan thinking that we might be somewhat competitive, but um I think that this this division is going to go to the Colts. Um it's the Colts' division to lose. Um mm-hmm. and I think that the Titans Granted, my track record with the Titans isn't necessarily the best in the sense that I've predicted that Derrick Henry is going to be injured for the last two years, and it didn't really come true until this year. Um, I don't know how much longer he can sustain the level of productivity that he's had. Um, And I also think that 
in terms of A.J. Brown. I think that we might have seen the ceiling that he's going to hit with uh, Ryan Tannehill. Um, I don't know if Ryan Tannehill can elevate his game. I think that A.J. Brown still has a lot to offer to the game and has a lot to um, has a lot of game to, you know, to continue to grow and evolve and become a better receiver. But I don't think that Matt uh, Ryan Tannehill, excuse me, is the guy to get him there. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think Tannehill, he was meant to be just a high-end game manager, and he's done that pretty well up to this point in his career. But we also have noticed that the game has moved farther and farther away from high-end game managers and are looking for somebody a little bit more dynamic. And, you know, somebody like Patrick Mahomes who thrives off script. You need a guy who who can survive a little bit more in chaos. Health has been a major concern for the Titans the last couple of years. Derrick Henry, it may be, you know, this may be the start of something. You know, what do they call it? Breaking the seal. Like when you go out to a bar and you had a bunch of drinks, right? Yeah. And as soon as you go to the bathroom that first time, you just like have to go every five minutes. Yes. And this might be one of those things where Derrick Henry just, he just broke his foot. And now, you know, it's like, it it may not be another broken foot, but it could be foot soreness, turf toe, uh, you know, Achilles, you know, uh, soreness, things like that. Calf, like a calf injury, bone bruise. It goes like, it goes on and on to a point where Derrick Henry is, is becoming less and less effective. And I think the same thing with AJ Brown, it's, he's had a handful of injuries these last couple of years. Julio Jones wasn't able to stay healthy for him the last couple of years. And Tannehill is not a guy that will uplift the wide receiver two or be able to win you a game if Derrick Henry goes down in the third corner, uh, quarter or A.J. Brown isn't available for the whole game. You know, it's yeah, amazing. Think- like Mark, Mark, Mike Vrabel deserves a lot of credit for what he's done so far, but this kind of feels like the cult for me where it's like, this is, Tannehill was a really good move, but now at this point it feels extremely low level and they're going to have to hopefully get more creative on the offensive side. Yeah, it's become a very middle-of-the-road, mediocre team. Um, mm-hmm. With, I mean, oh, I'm still upset that Mike Vrabel, because Mike Vrabel left the Texans to become the, the, the head coach for the Titans, and the culture that he's created, the atmosphere. Like, the Titans, to me, at least since he's been there, have felt like they should be really good. Um but they, I mean, besides Derrick Henry again, I mean, realistically, you take Derrick Henry off that team, and do you think that they would be nearly? Would they have 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 had half as many wins? You know, had they not had him, um, because in a lot of ways he sets the tone. I'm not saying that he like does everything for them, but he basically does do everything for them. I, but I'm, he's their best player. Yeah, and and not only is he is their best player, everything flows through him. You know what mm, I mean? Um, yeah. You you see, for example, like other teams like the Bengals and arguably the best player on the Bengals outside of the quarterback is Jamar Chase. But um, the whole team chips, you know, away at, at the goal and they all get yards and they all like if, if this player is not playing X well, well, then uh, Joe Mixon is going to come up here. You know what I mean? T Higgins is going to make a play. And unless it's Derrick Henry. I don't see the Titans doing anything that's really all that threatening. And even A.J. Brown, I don't know how much of a threat he can be. One, if he's not even on the field, but two, if Derrick Henry's not in there. And it's 
mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill throwing him the ball. I would love to see the Titans explore something that the 49ers did with Debo Samuel. The same thing with AJ Brown. I think as far as like physical body types uh, and the way that they play, AJ Brown is definitely one of the better yards after catch wide receivers in the league. And I would love to see them kind of use him more in the backfield, especially when Derrick Henry isn't available or use him at least in short games and, and ask him to go make a big play. Sometimes like, the the loss of Arthur Smith might be hitting them harder than they actually will, uh, will it want to admit. And the hard thing about having a defensive-minded head coach, or at least a coach who is not an offensive play caller, is eventually the well runs dry. And they have a couple of guys who are really good play callers for them, but the second you have like a top-five offense, most likely those guys are going to get another job somewhere else. And, you know, like, I think Bill Belichick is kind of suffering from this as well Is that like all he has left is Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. Like Josh McDaniels is gone. Uh, You know, uh, everybody else that was on the on the team is gone and he is basically going to call plays for them next year. And Mike Vrabel, who, although I think is great with the culture and they obviously have a, a really good team. They might have not enough, you know, on offense to actually stay relevant, you know, over for the long term. Yeah, I think that we're we're on the precipice on the precipice on the precipice. You know what I'm precipice? Is that the word? On the precipice, yes, that is the word. We're on the precipice of potentially. We both could have just. This is the blind leading the blind. We both could have just said that wrong. <laughs> no, it definitely is no precipice. Idea. I, I, that I'm. I'm I'm locking it in. But I think that we potentially are on the precipice of within the next maybe this upcoming offseason or the year after a full-fledged uh rebuild of the uh Tennessee Titans. Uh at least of their offense. Um because hypothetically, let's say this year Derrick Henry is injured for half or more of the games. Um and Ryan Tannehill is clearly not the answer. What do you do? You know what I mean? Um do you draft another running back and pray that he is everything Derrick Henry was and is? Um, you know, I think that like Derrick Henry has beaten the odds in the sense that again, I've been projecting his downfall for the last few years. But I mean, we've seen such a short shelf life on running backs that carry the the offense the way Derrick Henry does. You look at CMC, you look at what Saquon was, um, the shelf life is just, I mean, if you're going to run everything through your running back and it's going to be one guy that's just, you know, pounding the defense play after play after play, I just realistically don't see Derrick Henry doing this for another two, three years. No, I, I would I would bank on it. And Bart from our main show also would bank on him falling off a cliff. Uh, he predicted it last, I mean, he's kind of right. I'm, it's a layup. He said that he was not going to be another 2,000-yard rusher, and then, of course, he got hurt. Uh, a couple of key additions that the Titans had. They re-signed Harold Landry, who is an outside linebacker. He was their best edge rusher, but everybody is an outside linebacker. I don't actually understand what the distinction is between outside linebacker and edge sometimes. Uh, like Von Miller, I think of Von Miller as strictly an edge rusher, but he's listed as an outside linebacker. He's not moving on to the slot and guarding anybody. Uh, and then they also grabbed uh, Austin Hooper from the Browns, who kind of 
is like their wide receiver too, I guess. He's their next best pass catcher on the team, so they're going to have to look and try to add somebody as well to to catch passes from them. Uh, Julio Jones, Dante Foreman, Roger Saffold, and Janoris Jenkins all kind of make the list for the, their key departures. Julio Jones and Dante Foreman are the two biggest names. Dante Foreman did a really good job for them filling in for Derrick Henry last year. A great fantasy pickup for me. I appreciate that, man. But he moved on, I want to say, to the Falcons, who we'll talk about later. The Jacksonville Jaguars came, became big spenders, signing a lot of interesting deals. Uh, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, um, you know, Evan Ingram all made the deal, all made the list of guys. And Christian Kirk might have single-handedly ruined the NFL offseason by forcing some of these teams to overpay. Not necessarily overpay, but pay extra on their wide receivers. <laughs> Uh, Patrick Mahomes is cursing Christian Kirk's name as we speak. He's the reason Tyreek's not not there anymore. But what do you think about the moves, Jan? Have the Jaguars done enough to put Trevor Lawrence in a position to succeed? I think that they have done enough in terms of what could be done and what could be expected of them. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm like still on the fence about Trevor Lawrence. I know that he was. basically the second coming of friggin' Peyton Manning, you know, and whatnot. Football Jesus Christ, yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, he just seems too pretty to me. I don't know if he'll, he'll be able to manage anything um, of significance. I'm hoping he does, uh, you know, in terms of just, like, never wishing ill on anyone. But I think that they've done a, a good job of picking up talent, just not the right talent. Um, Zay Jones, you know, coming off the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, was a bright spot at times for the Raiders. Uh, Christian Kirk is in a similar boat, you know, Christian Kirk's a good receiver. I mean, he's not, I mean, there's a reason that he got paid what he got paid, even though it was way too much. And then Evan Ingram, like those are like the three ones that stick out to me in terms of offensive talent. I think that um, Evan Ingram should be very, very, very good. Um, But I know that every time I picked him up in fantasy within the last year, uh, hoping that he would do something well for me. Um, I traded for him in one of my leagues last year. Uh, I've been disappointed. So I don't know if that was a Daniel Jones issue or if that was an Evan Ingram issue. Um, so I'm hoping It that... was an Evan Ingram issue. As a guy who watched a lot of Giants games last year, it was an Evan Ingram issue. So do you think that he'll he'll be able to elevate <laughs> um, Trevor Lawrence's game at all? I don't know. It depends how they use him. Tight ends have kind of gotten more wide receiver ish over the last couple of years. And he's definitely more of an, you know, not an attached tight end type style. He He's going to be in the slot a lot. He dropped a lot of really big passes, you know, over the last couple of years and on paper, his intangibles and physical skills and speed all match up with a guy like Kyle Pitts. He just, for some reason, can't put it together, whether it's health or whether it's being consistent enough to play on the field. He has always struggled with something like that. And with the rest of the additions, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, and Christian Kirk, they're all they're all pretty fast guys. They're big downfield passers. Everybody, you know, loves the long ball. GMs love the long ball. That's pretty much the MO in the NFL right now. I'm super curious to see what this offense looks like next year. What like how they plan to use wide receiver one, Christian Kirk, and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram. 
because it, it moves a little bit away from what they were, were thinking about doing last year where they had LaVisca Chenault and Travis Etienne who are obviously still on the roster, but like they were kind of small shifty work in space type guys. Now these are fast downfield passing type guys. So I really have no idea. I think the hardest thing that's going to happen with Trevor Lawrence is whether or not all of these pieces come together or if they're a year away from being a year away because they are basically just going to tear down everything that Urban Meyer did. Uh, he, uh, he clearly had no idea what was going on and apparently didn't know who anybody was, which is maybe why he hated DJ Chark so much. He probably had no idea who he was and <laughs> thought he was breaking in. But, <laughs> um, you know, I agree with you what you said about Trevor Lawrence is I think we want to believe he's the guy. Uh, and as far as like a physical standpoint, you look at him and you go like, this guy obviously looks like an NFL quarterback. Um, plays like an NFL quarterback, but even in college, he had some decision-making mistakes, you know, that he had to, he had to clean up and, you know, I, it's kind of like the Alabama effect is, are you great or do you just play on an all-star team? Right. And Clemson wasn't necessarily an all-star team to the capacity that Alabama has ever been. But I mean, it's, it's pretty similar. Like they have a lot of really talented guys well, on these teams. W- well, I mean, wasn't this this game the 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 opening game of this year the first regular season loss he's had since like way into his high school career? I think yeah, that, I think he he had like only lost two games since high school at that point or something like that. Exactly. I think that you, not that you have to lose because I think that that's like a loser's mentality to have, but you can't only know the 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 highs. You know what I mean? You have to know the lows. Yeah in order to be able to get yourself out of those lows. And I mean, I said the same thing about Matt Ryan. That was, that's, that was the point I was making, but yeah, it's 28 to three loss. Exactly. And, and like, like you, you have to know what you're made of and what you're capable of. I mean, it's that very, very <clears throat> cliche saying that like, you never know how strong you are until it's being strong. Is your only option. Um, mm-hmm. may, when I say that he's too pretty to me, it's not only like physical, like he just seems too perfect. You know what I mean? And people that are too perfect make me itchy. You know, they make the hair on the back of my neck stand up um, because I'm like, dude, nobody is too perfect. And and this isn't like a personal jab at him in any way, shape or form. Not that he, you know, necessarily care what my opinion is on him. But um, I just feel like um, you kind of have to struggle a little bit. And there's a reason that uh, some of the best players have come from some of the crummiest situations, the shittiest situations just like on a personal note is because they, they, they are strong and they are um, diligent beyond just the football field. If that makes sense. You know, it's like you're playing hard, not only because you like football, but because like you want to do better for your family or you've known what it's like to not know where to get your meal from. And that's me being very, very dramatic. I mean, I'm doing the, the whole ESPN thing, you know, where, Every guy yeah, that gets the trauma drafted. showcase. Exactly. Right before it's yeah. like on the best day of your life, they showcase. But like, um, I don't know. I just, I hope Trevor Lawrence does well. I just, I'm, I'm not sold on him in a similar way that I'm not sold on Tua. You know, I mean, not to bring in a different quarterback, but, um, yeah. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe either of us think that Trevor Lawrence doesn't love football or isn't willing to put the work into it. But I will, Imagine that maybe it might be harder to adapt to a, a game or kind of grow at a rapid rate when 
you know, a lot of things have gone right in your life so far. And maybe you have to try to figure out kind of from the ground up where, where you go from here. Yeah. And, and, and in his Doug defense, Peterson has been accredited yeah. with a lot of player development and the Eagles looked at themselves as quarterback university. And I think a big part of that was Doug Peterson and Doug Peterson's ability to develop players and put a quarterback in a good position, especially considering he was one before. So I, what I'm, I'm basically, I'm going to wipe out Trevor Lawrence's rookie season. I don't really know what I can really take away from something like that. He seemed to be like a pretty decent leader in the locker room. He stood up to urban Meyer a lot and not a lot of guys can stand up to a coach, especially as a rookie. Uh But you know, as far as like play on the field goes, I really don't know what to make of it. I, I have no idea what I should expect out of Trevor Lawrence this next year. I just hope he comes out as a pretty polished quarterback. I think our perception of quarterbacks are a little bit skewed because of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. And we're spoiled in that aspect because I think we miss where quarterbacks can be great in other categories. However, Trevor Lawrence was not great in many categories last year. And I really like my, I have zero expectations to be honest. Uh, Well, I like, I like your, your idea of just, chucking out his first season out the window and just starting fresh. Because um, what I was going to say was that after everything, after my whole little monologue there, I did like reflect on the fact that he, he did overall seem to be in control of that locker room. He seemed to have command mm-hmm. and respect. And the fact that like what you just mentioned, like he stood up to urban Meyer on multiple occasions. Um, he handled it really well. You know what I mean? Um, uh, it goes back to, you know, to, to kind of put it into perspective, Baker Mayfield dealt with Deshaun Watson allegations for one day and he like started folding versus Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. had an, a weekly carousel of drama around his team for the most part coming from his coach. Who's the last person that mm-hmm. you should expect to do that. So like he did handle it well. Um, I just think that um, I, I hope that he does well. And like you said, that he comes out of polished quarterback, but I think that a lot of that's also going to come with help on the offensive line, not just in terms of, pure talent um in skill positions and they've only added one offensive lineman this offseason so um yeah that's that's my only caveat Which, a very good one brandon scherf's yes very good one yes but i think i said it to open the segment i think they're a year away from being a year away i think everybody like pat last year i remember hearing colin cowherd say that they were going to win seven games and a lot of people were predicting that they might win seven or eight seven eight or nine games this year so I, I would not expect that. I expect them to be another two, three win team. If they can trade out of the first pick, I think they actually should do something like that as well. They need to kind of flesh out this roster more than what it actually is right now. And, you know, like some of the picks that they made don't exactly like wow me or make me feel confident. That they've really put them in a great position. It's going to be, like I said, super interesting to see what this team looks like. But key departures, they lost. They had to cut Miles Jack. Um, I don't know. They didn't really have to cut Miles Jack, but they cut him, and he's now signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then they let DJ Chark walk, who's now with my my favorite team, my like one of my three or four favorite teams, the Detroit Lions. So good for them. The Houston Texans. The reason why you're here, Jan. The Houston Texans are moving on from Deshaun Watson. They've made a couple really small middling moves, so there isn't really much to talk about outside of that. But the big thing is, is Deshaun Watson gets traded for three first-round picks. Whether or not he gets suspended, who really gives a rip? 
The Texans, however, get to reap the benefits of having those three first-round picks. I'm going to let you have the floor. I talked about in my quarterback episode about what you think about Deshaun Watson's pending case. Um, in terms of how it makes me feel, it makes me feel gross. Um, but in terms of purely football, um, just look, just through a purely football uh, lens, I think that the Texans ended up getting the higher the the better hand on in this situation. Um, I know that when news broke that he requested a trade, right? I remember like you were the first person I texted, and I was like, I hope this isn't true. I hope that this doesn't happen. I hope that we can fix things. I hope that we, at that time, you know, we were, it was, um, he, it, there were reports that he wanted Eric Bieniemy. So I was like, I hope that we can hire Eric Bieniemy and that, you know, we resolve the situation. And we, I was still on a high, not from that previous year because we went four and 12, but the year before that, where we beat the uh, Buffalo Bills in the playoffs. Um, and so I was just completely enthralled and almost blinded by Deshaun Watson's greatness on the football field because I truly and sincerely do think that he is a magical and epic and you know just stupendous football player in general like top three talents not just quarterback but talents in the NFL um however the longer that the situation drug out and the longer that it took to resolve anything and his uh attitude i guess that I, I would say towards the situation just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth um i remember there were times where because i follow him on instagram and he would be like out partying like the day after like a new allegation dropped or something along those lines and i'm like bro mm. like whether or not you did that because he has always been adamant that <clears throat> he is innocent that these are taken out of proportion that uh some of these are just straight up blackmail um you know he's always been adamant of his innocence but you don't portray that image, you know what I mean? Whether or not you're innocent or not, um, just because you know the optics that it might create. And you you never want to make it seem like you don't care, especially with something this serious. Because it is extremely serious. It's, you know, if if these allegations are, too, are true, 22 people, 22 women have had their lives drastically changed, you know what I mean? Um, including his own uh, and, and those of the circle around him. Um, but now that he's gone just in terms of of sports um i'm ready you know like i i feel like it took me a while in terms of like a breakup to get over it as a fan um but like i feel like i'm ready i'm i'm excited to see what happens um and so uh i just i just hope that we don't squander these picks you know <laughs> which is i mean this right. this this is where i know that you and i have had this conversation about the texans this is where you determine whether you're a good franchise or a bad franchise. This is where you set yourself apart. Um, there's a reason that bad franchises are bad, fr- bad franchises, and it's because they make clearly stupid moves, which is exactly what we were doing with Bill O'Brien when we traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, and we let JJ, walk, JJ Watt just kind of walk. Like, I wasn't opposed to letting him go, um, but the way that it happened, like that's arguably one of the top two or three best players in your franchise's history. And it was very anticlimactic. You know what I mean? Like, you should have at least sent him off, you know, or something. Um, so I think that this is where we're really going to, like, set ourselves apart. Um, and I just, I hope that it's on the better side. Uh, I don't really know how much faith I have in Nick Casario. Um, but but that's not to say that I don't. I just, I, I haven't seen him en- enough. You know, um, we used to have um, Rick Smith as our GM. 
and that guy, his first round picks were absolutely, you know, like he he never missed. He drafted J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson. Um, I'm pretty sure that he was around when we drafted Brian Cushing. So it's, you know, Arian Foster, who was undrafted, but he still signed him. So I'm just hoping that we have a similar, I, I hope that Nick Casario has a similar um, track record. You know, when I look back in five years, if he's still here, I'm like, oh, we th- this is where we made our moves. And then in terms of um, Davis Mills, I think that he has the potential to be a good filler. And I know that, like, I would tell you that I was, I, I really, really hoped and prayed that whoever we traded Deshaun Watson to, we didn't get their quarterback because I didn't want um, Baker Mayfield. And I didn't want Matt Ryan. And I didn't want somebody that would allow me to get my hopes up. Not even allow me to get my hopes up, but I think that, like, franchises at times will get a filler and think, oh, like, we're so close. And it's like, dude, you're just being naive. You're not, you're not close. You know what I mean? So with Davis Mills being on this rookie contract, I'm hoping and I'm praying that even if he's not our guy, we can ride this year out, draft draft who we're going to draft this year to build out the roster, and then maybe next year, you know, if he's still not that guy, then maybe after the next draft, you know, we, we switch off. And hopefully by then, we have those key pieces and those key elements to be a team like the Cincinnati Bengals were, who had, I think, five first-round, you know, defensive picks or something like that on last year's Super Bowl roster until they got Joe Burrow. So um, in terms of Deshaun Watson, I'm just, I'm excited to see what happens. That's, that's all I can say. And what's done is done. And he's gone. So I think that he's, he's not worth my uh, stressing over at this point. Right. And just to add one more thing, he had a press conference with the Cleveland Browns and he also, he essentially doubled down and said that he denies all claims made against him. So we'll see how that case pans out. <clears throat> as far as the Houston Texans go, it's almost a layup to trade Watson away for three first round picks. He was never going to play for you anyway. And right. as far as being like one of the more talented cornerbacks in the league, everybody would probably would have paid that price. I think that that was the going rate was three or four picks for him. So, you know, good for the, the Texans for, for pulling it off. I guess some people are giving them too much credit. I don't think that, well, I mean, what else were they going to do? Trade him for a first and a third and just say goodbye just because they wanted him gone. I mean, they, they held it out and they were willing to hold on to him and, and good for them in that case. But he was always going to go for at least three first round picks or at least two picks and a couple of great players in return. <clears throat> so like you said, it's going to be really important to see what they do with these picks. And luckily they have two picks in this year's draft where they can kind of flesh out the rest of their roster. I would look to trade back from number three and hopefully go from three to eight with the Falcons or go from three to six with the Panthers and have them one of them take a quarterback. And then maybe add some more picks as time goes on. But you have now the ability to get a pick 13 this year. It wasn't their first round pick. The Cleveland Browns first round pick was not pick 25. You know, it's still really early in the draft where you might get a a decent blue chipper. You know, uh, Garrett Wilson or, you know, um, an offensive lineman. Like let's say Charlie Cross happens to fall that far. You can get a lot of really decent cornerstones for your team. A good corner. And you know, flesh out the rest of your roster. And the beautiful thing about quarterbacks is value. I think with a lot of them, we've seen with Patrick Mahomes, we've seen with Aaron Rodgers, that paying a guy 50, $45 million hits you a lot harder when it comes to the rest of your roster. Neither of them were able to keep their wide receiver one. The great thing about Davis Mills, although he 
does not have a fifth round option is that he was a second round pick and he has pretty, pretty much a zero base salary in the, in the world of cap space and the NFL and monopoly money. Davis mills doesn't really cost them anything. So they have right. the ability to flesh out the rest of their roster. Although they didn't make a couple of really big moves this year. I think the, the best thing they can do with their two first round picks draft guys, get low cost guys, have them be your corners cornerstones for the next five to 10 years. And then next year, flesh out the rest of your roster. I think Davis Mills will be more than serviceable for them. And all they have to do is just get some blue chippers and then move on from there. Yeah. Davis Mills, Davis thrills. I mean, he, Davis thrills, know, baby. Exactly. Um, I think that he, he, and if, you know, this is a big if, but if he ends up being a Ryan Tannehill caliber player or a, even better, a Kirk Cousins caliber, caliber player. That's going to be serviceable not only for these next two years, next, but like it could go into three, four years. Um, at which point, hopefully by then, I mean, again, you have to be diligent and you have to make the right picks and you not dig yourself into a hole. But um, maybe something falls into our laps. I mean, I think that the 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 off season that we've had this year isn't just a coincidence. I think that's a sign of the times. I think that off seasons like this are going to become more frequent than not. Um, I don't necessarily know that we'll have, you know, four major quarterbacks or five major quarterbacks being traded or being moved every single off season. But I do think that the superstars are right. going to be moving. So who's to say that in four or five years, um, superstars in the NFL aren't empowered the way that superstars in the NBA are to where they can link up or trade. Or, I mean, you see what Russell Wilson did. He, he, he was quiet until he wanted out and then he got out. You know what I mean? You see, even Matt Ryan, there were reports that he wasn't happy when the Atlanta Falcons were looking for Deshaun Watson, and Atlanta Falcons were like, you know what, let's do it. And I think that time frames in general have become shorter and shorter and shorter in the NFL. Um, I mean, uh, you can have a coach for one year and fire him after the first year if he's not what you want, versus uh, I feel like yeah. not not even 10 years ago. I mean, even when, when I first, you know, when we were of age, you know, to start really kind of paying attention to football, the culture was totally different. Um, you know, it was a quarterback stayed with their team, you know, until, you know, basically the whole, their whole career. And if they were trash, they were out of the league. It wasn't like, right. You, you didn't have like, third or fourth opportunities. Imagine, imagine like Calvin Johnson today. He would not just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to retire at 30 years old as a Detroit lion. He probably would have asked out two years before that and would have played for, you know, another team. Like the, the, the culture you're right is significantly different that um these players are Barry Sanders and, and Calvin Johnson would have absolutely requested a trade out of there. And Matt Stafford probably wouldn't have lasted as long either. So like you yeah, said, so you never know who's gonna be available in the next four years, but we also didn't think this many people would be available this year. So you, you don't really know what's gonna happen. Exactly. My train of thought is that Joe Burrow continues to get sacked in Cincinnati. He says he wants out and he wants to go to H Town in four years. Like by the yeah. time his rookie contract Calling is over it. in three, four years, who's to say Joey B doesn't head head down south and reps for the city? You know what I mean? He's gonna put on a pair of grills, throw some you know chrome spinners on his freaking you know Cadillac, and cru- cru- cruise down cruise through Houston. Yeah, a lot of culture in Houston. So we're gonna move on to the NFC South. The Bucks, Tom Brady surprisingly unretired. They also got Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette back. 
and Carlton Davis. So like a couple years ago, they just re-signed all their free agents. They basically did it again. Do you think that they're a championship level team? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I think that the NFC is uh, much, much easier than the AFC. Um, I think that they're, they're, not a, they're not a lock, obviously, to win the Super Bowl. But I think that they're in just about as good a position as any besides maybe the, well, I want to say the Packers. But the Packers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, as, as you called him in your solo podcast, he's been a choke artist. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. um, I think that they, that they have the ability to go there. Um, however, realistically, if I was a betting man, I would put it that they make it to the NFC Championship game. And then after that, I would not feel comfortable wagering anything. Yeah, I think if we we can name five teams, they would be the Rams, obviously, the 49ers, the Packers, the Bucks, and I'm completely blanking on somebody else, the New York Football Giants. No, I'm kidding. Uh, maybe, I've, I don't know who I was thinking of. Maybe, maybe it's just four teams right now in the NFC um, who are actually championship-level contenders, and that like that's it. And if you name, you can name six teams, seven teams in the AFC. So they actually do absolutely have a chance. It kind of depends on circumstance and whether or not how they match up, health, things like that. I would still put the Rams in, depending on how Trey Lance, you know, fleshes out. I would go over the 49ers over them. But, you know, sometimes you get lucky. And I've said this before, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So you never know what actually is going to happen. Uh, Tom Brady is kind of the biggest X factor there is in the entire league, even at 44, 45 years old. So I wonder how long he's going to play, to be honest, is because they want to get another year out of him. Um, The Saints. Oh, also, by the way, the Bucks may or may not have Gronk back next year. He's debating whether or not he wants to play football. I don't really blame him. He's kind of like becoming more and more like a metal man as time goes on. He already was when he was with the Patriots, but at this point, he is wearing these huge braces all the time. He'll come back. You kind of want to live your life, even if you're 30. Yeah, he'll come back for sure. But if he says no, I don't blame him. The Saints re-signed Jameis Winston, who we know I feel like he was on a really good pace before he tore his ACL. They also re-signed, or they also signed Marcus May from the Jets. They also they left Teron Armstead to go walk. He's now with the Dolphins. And Marcus Williams, who signed with the Baltimore Ravens. So this team is kind of an interesting play. Sean Payton, obviously, he didn't retire, but he took a step away. Alvin Kamara has a pending criminal case. Michael Thomas hasn't played in two years. Jameis Winston is a bridge quarterback. Do you think that they're in full rebuild mode, or do you think that they're just kind of rebooting for one more year? Or they're competitive? I think they should. No, they, sh- they should be in full rebuild mode. I don't know that they are, but I think that they should be. Um, I think that they're, uh, if, if I was a Saints fan, I'd be optimistic. and. Jameis Winston um but realistically I don't necessarily know that he would make carry you to the playoffs I mean he might the NFC especially that division besides the Bucks, the, the Bucks you know is, is kind of up for grabs um the NFC probably won't be it, it for sure will not be nearly as competitive as the AFC so they might reboot but I think that they should rebuild um I think that it's time to let Michael Thomas go um I would not be upset if they let him go for near to nothing you know um uh but in terms of alvin Kamara, i would i would try to get some picks for him i think that they're you know a a team like hypothetically i mean this is just like really out of left field but what if derrick henry does go down in say like week three of this upcoming season and the titans need a running back and they pick up alvin Kamara and they give up a first rounder for him 
you know, like you never know. So I think that they should be in a rebuild. I don't think that they will be, at least not for another year or two. I think Dennis Allen is a good coach. Um, when he was with the Raiders, I liked him. I think that they did not give him nearly enough time. Um, and he was young. So um, I'm hoping that he does some some nice stuff with them. Uh, the Saints have always had a soft a soft spot in my heart because Mark Ingram was one of my favorite running backs when I was in high school. Um, so I, 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 I always wish him well. And But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that they should go full rebuild mood. But I think right now they're thinking reboot. I think that they're going to kind of have an emphasis on defense as their identity. They still have Cam Jordan and... Forget the corner. Marshawn Lattimore's as far as cornerstones go on defense, and then re-signing Marcus May. Not re-signing, signing Marcus May after Marcus William walks is kind of like, let's say a lateral move. Marcus May is a pretty talented quarterback, a safety who's not going to cost them too much. So I think that they're going to go hiring defense Dennis Allen as their head coach, who was the defensive coordinator. They're going to go with a defense first type approach to the game. Jameis Winston, I think, is more of a bridge quarterback until they inevitably in the next two years draft another quarterback, but I agree. I think it's as far as a team that is in cap hell, they're going to have to move on. I think Michael Thomas, that time is over. Trade him for a third round pick to the Chiefs or whatever and see what happens. Um, like you said, Alvin Kamara, desperate times may call for desperate measures for a team like the, <clears throat> the who you say, the Titans or maybe the Baltimore Ravens or something like that where they just need to get a piece and they most likely they're trying to make a playoff push. When you're picking pick 20 and on, who really gives a rip about what the pick actually because, becomes? Because, like, as far as Les Snead goes for the Rams, he says F them picks. Who actually cares? So, they're, I mean, yeah, they're in a tough spot. I really don't know what to do with, with the Saints. I mean, I would just rather go with the rebuild mode. It's just kind of hard, like, when you're a team that has been competitive, and especially with Drew Brees over the last two years. It's hard to kind of come back down to earth, but you use it again on the precipice of, you know, a full collapse. And then yeah, the I, I, Atlanta I, Falcons. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that. Who knows? Maybe after this, after the cap situation gets figured out, Sean Payton comes back and goes, okay, I'm back. And we see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it was yeah. time to pay his credit card bill and he's, he went on vacation. Exactly. Yeah. The Atlanta Falcons were in the running for Deshaun Watson. They moved on from Matt Ryan. They've they've been referenced a handful of times in this episode so far. Calvin Ridley has a pending suspension. They have a really interesting roster. They signed Cordell Patterson and Casey Hayward, who are older guys. They re-signed Young Hoko, who's one of the better kickers in the league. Young wide receiver Russell Gage left, and then they brought in bridge quarterback Marcus Mariota. A lot of interesting moves for the Falcons. I'm actually going to go first on this one, Jen. I think that the Falcons take it away are a year away from actually being in a rebuild. Matt Ryan's cap hit is like $47 million. So there really isn't anything that they could do. Signing Casey Hayward uh, to, to stay on is interesting because he is an older corner, but maybe it's also going to be a level to mentor AJ Terrell and get him to another level because he elevated to a higher level last year. And I think that he can be a franchise cornerstone. Cordell Patterson is just going to be fun to watch. And I think that's going to be a let Arthur Smith kind of spread his playmaking wings as, as and same with Marcus Mariota They're Like I said, they're a year away. Calvin Ridley isn't going to be on the team. I don't even think ever again. And Kyle Pitts is all they got. So they're going to rebuild the roster. There really isn't anything to say about them right now until 
they have all the cap space in the world to kind of go and make some moves. Yeah, I could I couldn't agree more. I think that um the Falcons uh they're not they're not a bad franchise, but they're kind of at a bad spot. So I I I don't know exactly what the rebuild looks like. I know that what I was just saying that the rebuild um time frames in the NFL are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So I wouldn't be shocked uh if they return to relevance within two, three, four years. Um, but I don't know how what that looks like yet. Um, so it's kind of up in the air. Like you said, there isn't much to say about them besides that um Matt Ryan is no longer with them and a lot of their talent is just kind of depleted besides outside of Kyle Pitts. Yeah, the, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Bucks, and hell, the whole division is kind of on the same page where they were extremely competitive through the middle 2000s from like 2010 to 2017 or something like that. Uh, I, I, despite the recent success of the Bucks, they all kind of went all in on this championship model. The Saints with Drew Brees, the Falcons with Matt Ryan, the Panthers with Cam Newton, the Bucks currently with Tom Brady, where eventually, like now, they're all in rebuild mode, rebuild mode, and they're going to restart that cycle. So they're, they're for the most part, a lot of these teams are, this is like the worst division of football, I think. The Carolina Panthers are the last team we're going to talk about. Matt Rule has not done a fantastic job for them. Deshaun Watson basically eliminated them first. They didn't want to go there. They have mutual disinterest in Baker Mayfield. They made a trade for Sam Darnold last year, who is not very good. They don't have any moves going on right now. The biggest moves, I mean, they shirt up their offensive line. They signed Austin Corbett and Bradley Bozeman from the Ravens and the Rams. They got Xavier Woods, who's a talented safety, and Dante Foreman, who is a really good backup. But their MO has been defense. They got Hassan Reddick, or Hassan Reddick walk. Brian Burns has been fantastic for them. Uh, what was it? Stephon Gilmore was really fantastic for them. A lot of young corners, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk quarterbacks. Is Matt Rule destined to be fired, do you think? And will they ever find the quarterback of their future? Will they ever find the quarterback of their future? Uh, at, least during, at least during Matt Rule's tenure. No. No, I think that Matt Rule will be out in two years. Just a uh, quick take. Um, I think he'll be out in two years. I don't see... Like, there are certain times where you're in situations where you don't even know how to begin to dig yourself out of a hole. And I think that that's kind of where the Panthers are at. In the sense that uh, even, like, at least when they had Christian McCaffrey, like, being who he, you know, his full potential, he could kind of drag you along. And you could kind of be hopeful that, you know, you could pick up a piece here, pick up a piece there, that the defense might be able to win you a game here or a game there. Um, I think that right now they don't have that one guy that can really do it for you. Um, and so I think that when you're kind of in a hole that way, it all just seems dark all the way around you. And you might not even be able to see the light. And I think that that's kind of where they're at. And I think that Matt Rule's just kind of destined to fail. I don't necessarily watch enough Panthers games to know whether or not he truly is a competent or an incompetent coach. But um, I just don't see how he can get them to a point where they're competitive to keep ownership happy um, unless they have that quarterback. And I just don't see how they find that quarterback right now. Yeah. He is a CEO level coach, which a lot of these coaches have tried to become where he doesn't actually do anything. He's not a play caller or he's on either sides of the ball. So he just hires guys and he's so far not hired exactly the right guys. They have a lot of talent on the defensive end. I think DJ Moore is a very underrated, underrated wide receiver. Christian McCaffrey obviously is one of the more talented players in the league. And 
if I were the Panthers, I would fire Matt Rule today. I know that there aren't a lot of head coaches left or really at all to hire, and hiring somebody right before the season starts or right before the draft would be a mistake. And so this might be a hyperbole, but I mean, what what are we doing with the Panthers? What's the goal? Myers out there. At the end of the day, they they've tried the last two years to find a quarterback. They went from Sam Darnold to they went from Cam Newton to Sam Darnold to Cam Newton. They went to PJ Walker, and now they have basically nobody. At this point, they don't have anybody. They they added some decent picks, but they could have gone for Teron Armstead. They could have Dave Teppard, who's one of the more aggressive and rich owners in the league, could have also guaranteed Deshaun Watts' entire contract, and they just decided not to do anything. I don't blame Dave Tepper for not guaranteeing his contract, but they could have made some sort of move or some sort of, you know, package for somebody. And I just think that it, it reeks of incompetence from Matt Rule and the rest of the front offense for the fact that they have had three years now at this point to go and build something and you're past the point of the benefit of the doubt. They could have drafted a quarterback last year. They didn't. They can draft a quarterback this year, but I mean, everybody knows that this is a super weak wide receiver quarterback class. So how much time does that actually buy you right now? Matt rule is just kind of, he's just treading water. And if I were the Panthers ownership, I would, I would fire him today. Yeah. I think that might not be the worst idea. Sometimes you have to just kind of jump the gun instead of just letting yourself suffer for, for, for longer. You know, maybe by keeping him on for another year, you know, it's just going to dig him into a bigger hole. I think that somebody like a Tyrod Taylor would have been a good pickup for them. Um, but he ended up, he's with the Giants, isn't he? Pretty sure he's with but, the Giants. Yeah. You guys is back yeah. Up, so so um, the Giants are guaranteed to get their next uh, franchise quarterback. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more Taylor in terms of, uh, of, of the Panthers. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, they have a handful of cornerstones on this team. DJ Moore is a great is a fantastic player. He's a cornerstone. Brian Burns is a young player. He's a cornerstone. JC Horn and CJ Henderson, whether or not CJ Henderson actually becomes a good corner, both of them are very young and very talented. Like Yeter Grossmatos, like they have a handful of guys who are really talented, really young and on rookie contracts. So they can find a way to build a really like they can go and make big moves for it. This is like the opposite of having a rookie quarterback they have rookie everything else basically and they can add a quarterback into that i think that they like they they might just need to like i said fire matt rule today tank they were almost guaranteed to have a top five pick get a quarterback in next year's draft and then go from there and then now you have five players on a rookie contract you can stagger them and then build the rest of your team but they're just td and water and treading water and they're just it's just stupid everything that they've done so far has been just completely stupid but that's going to put us at the one hour and three minute mark so that's going to end our episode may not be one hour three minutes after i edit thank you alejandro for coming and joining in if you like everything that you guys have here go ahead and subscribe to us on apple podcast and spotify as well as tune into our weekly show that we do every week also listen to pit stop jared is doing some great stuff there about f1 Watch the Drive to Survive series on Netflix if you like any of that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you listening. Peace.